I'm Knight Errantry. This is episode zero. We're going to be talking today about the state of Catholic culture and online Catholic content. Online Catholic culture, that is. Introducing our podcast and why it has a right to exist. Joining me for this is going to be my regular or semi-regular co-host, Classical Theist. Hello. How are you doing tonight, Mr. Theist? Oh, you know, I'm doing well, hanging in there. How does it feel to be doing recording attempt two? <laughs> oh, oh it's, it's not too bad. Well, hopefully we won't get bullied by one of my followers who was like, you guys better not have nerd voice. And I, was just, and I just po- replied with a crying emoji. Also joining me is another longtime friend of mine, Gabriel Syme, the not nice, not Matt Walsh friend, Chesterton Respector. Hello. What's the name of the of the essay that everyone should read by Chesterton? The Judaism of Hitler. It's basically Wonderful. where he says that the reason Hitler's bad is because he's an ethno-narcissist, like Zionists are, right? Yeah, like the Puritans were. It goes all the way back to the Puritans. I've been threatening to do this for people that have been in the group chats that I've been in Twitter since at least October, but... What happened was was that I got diagnosed with freaking thyroid cancer. And so they had to cut open my neck, take out my thyroid and cancer from there. And I recently, just earlier last, uh, middle of last month rather, got through with my second surgery for that. And so I'm recording this with a gaping hole in my neck and cotton medical supplies to keep it from opening up and all of my freaking juices coming out of it. Um, but I'm finally healthy enough to do this. The reason why I wanted to do this is that I, I kind of, I'm not, not happy about the state of Catholic content. Uh, I'm not happy that it seems like all of the most interesting podcasts are from non-Catholics. I mean, you guys have known me a while and I've always kind of complained about how it seems like Catholics, at least since the 19th century, has been, have been late in the game, or at the very least, a more positive way of looking at it have only like hidden gem content right you know Mm -hmm. because you have yeah go ahead it's main its main way of presentation has been lacking and in order to get the much more uh valuable catholic uh content you have to sort of go under the radar of what's of, of, of what's mainly presented I remember I was talking to um, Troll Legge a couple of weeks ago about just kind of how how back in the day in like the 80s or 90s did one become quote-unquote based in red pills. And, you know, the process was is that you, you subscribed to National Review and then you went to the back of the magazine and you just found like the edgiest ad that you could that National Review allowed, and then you subscribed to that magazine or newspaper, which might be like Chronicles or or, or Triumph or something. I don't know if Mm -hmm. Triumph... Triumph probably never did, you know, advertise in National Review. But then you go to the edgiest ad in the next magazine, and you just keep going on and on until... Until you finally find something. Until until it's, it's 2008. And you're you're the the last ten people subscribed to E. Michael Jones's newsletter. <laughs> um, you got a stack of culture wars in your garage. Just, just, just waiting out the bunker, waiting out the virus, reading my my back issues of culture wars. 
you know, you kind of have to, like, go under the surface to find really good Catholic content. Like, I, like, the way I discovered E. Michael Jones was just, like, I don't freaking know. Like, I, I think, I think I discovered him on YouTube originally because I was interested in, like, critiques of, like, Protestant interpretations of American history. Yeah. When I first found him, it was, uh, he did a mic'd up with Michael Voris on the whole Mojigore question. Shit. I didn't know anything about Mojigore. I, 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 this was just within, like, the first year of my reversion back to the faith. I didn't know anything about Mojigore or some of these other dubious private revelations but yeah i mean i mean th th that's how i i came across them and you know medjugorje only constitutes like a small segment of his whole body of work but uh you know that, that's the, that's sometimes how you come across uh of, of like that i think this is a good segue dr jones is basically well not by all of them i don't know how patrick coffin feels but overall e. michael jones is kind of seen as like an em enemy of the people by a lot of like the current catholic content yeah mafia um it's interesting because he is for different for, for different reasons right a he obviously he touches on issues that are much too risky for some of the mainline catholic content creators to talk about like you know zionism the, the theological element to judaism right but you also can't really peg him as a, a cookie cutter Catholic traditionalist either, because uh, he's if if you're a just a, an SSPX devotee who every single theological discussion that you have has to come down to how terrible Francis is, uh, well, he's not really going to be your friend either, right? I think he even goes to the Novus Ordo, right? No, he did. Yeah, he's... no, I mean, go ahead. Yeah, I think he goes to FSSP. Um, oh, does he? Yeah, one thing I can say is uh, his book on this, the Catholic Church and religious, or no, the Catholic Church and the Cultural Revolution. It's one of those compilation books from yeah. Fidelity where they take his articles. And I didn't know this before he that I think he says something on the lines of Ottaviani was almost the guy who had the idea for the council very early on, which that kind of just, just knowing that kind of changed my whole view on the council. But in general, in general, with, um, with Jones, I think he is known. I think he's much more well known among these circles, not not our circles. I mean, among the kind of mainstream Catholic content creators. But he's just they just don't talk about him. It's not that he's not known. It's that he's almost seen as the kind of. Um, he's, he's the quote unquote, not respectable guy. And as he's gone on and become more and more, some people would say edgy, some people would say fringe, and some people would just say he's just, you know, being consistent with actually presenting what he, he feels to be what he needs to present. People have sort of distanced themselves from him. And if anything, as time has gone on more recently, he's kind of come back into the, the field. But like, you can go back. I mean, you have the um, Degenerate Moderns, that was published by Ignatius Press. He uses the term Judeo-Christian in that book quite a lot. That basically, that is the kind of book that Ignatius Press would even publish today by any, you know, mm -hmm. by any of those kind of authors. And he had a whole presentation on C-SPAN by it. And and those those so he, his, his books were studied at Franciscan University of Steubenville, even. Right. Yeah, I think he came around to to uh, or 
edgier opinions around, I want to say, 08. He himself said it was, uh, I think, because of Iraq, basically wondering why are all these neo, mm. why are people listening to these neocons? But as far as like public presentation, oh yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. know when. Uh, I think Libido Dominandi came out in the '90s, but that still might be pretty. That, that's 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 in the mainstream of trad Catholic, because he mm. talks about Masons. But he won't. He doesn't really mention the Eskimos. That so it's just it's it's Masons, which is kind of you can talk about Masons because I don't think they're not. I mean, I guess they're still oh, yeah, around. He, you can blame everything on Masons, <laughs> right? Yeah, you can say Masons or Illuminati or whoever. Yeah, with with no consequence. But right. the like the thing about EMJ being disliked by all of these content creators like the Marshalls and the Gordons and the the Skojeks of the world. I, I think at this point, everyone knows who we're talking about, especially mm -hmm. with the recent article with Taylor Marshall, you know, convinced Shugel, you know, Alexander Shugel to, to destroy the Pachamama statues, and they were afraid of snipers on the Vatican. By infiltration. Oh, I know. On sale now. Uh, how how can anyone believe? I just boomers. I mean, so our friend Meme Fryer, who will be with us in a few episodes from now, along with Gabriel Syme, to talk about. We're gonna do a dedicated Chesterton episode. That's one of the plans. He was. He said, you know, the thing about boomers, Meme Fryer said, is that they have a tendency because they have a post a Cold War imagination that a lot of the times everything just becomes a Tom Clancy novel. Mm -hmm. just in their minds <laughs> and so freaking so they think of taylor marshall as jack reacher or sam fisher or something <laughs> and it's just ridiculous and stupid but there's I mean, i'm not trying to offend the boomers and hopefully they stick with us and kind of yeah. understand why we think these things are bad but no, but, but they really think that He's like in this life and death battle with satanic infiltrators well, do, in the Vatican, you, and, that, and that, and that, if he says the wrong thing, he he could end up quietly uh, assassinated or something like that. I mean, I think basically, if if E. Michael Jones hasn't been like drone striked by the Illuminati by now, I think Taylor Marshall is safe. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think, I think, uh, I think his, I think he's safe and. I don't think his 250-page infiltration book is uh, okay. If if JRS isn't it doesn't cause those kinds of problems for EMJ, infiltration does not cause those problems for Taylor Marshall. Well, it's it's just like the, I remember he sent a tweet when he was publishing infiltration, saying all the stuff I'm learning about the church, I'm in tears and I honestly fear <laughs> for my life. Yeah, I, I remember that. <laughs> If I end up dead, I want you to know it was the, I don't know how you say it, the sunk gallon mafia who killed me. <laughs> it's, it's, I, I was saying this to someone else is that the thing is, is that the, we'll talk about, so, so part of episode zero, and I keep trying to interrupt, my, having to interrupt myself, and I apologize, but episode zero is not like per se a straight up like single topic or guest conversation interview episode it's just basically kind of like we're gonna talk about why we're doing this 
and just kind of mm-hmm. the landscape overall. So that being said, one of the things I want to talk about in a future episode is Malachi Martin and kind of the intersection of like Art Bell conspiracy isms and the Catholic side of that and like Malachi Martin and like apparitions and like Fatimist stuff. And just because I was saying to someone in a chat that the, the thing about these topics that are more like, you know, esoteric or out of the way is that if you don't talk about them, then Jay Dyer or the Diamond Brothers or Taylor Marshall or any other deranged psycho on the deranged religious psycho, you know, any schizo folk shaman. Um, right. Dr. Marshall. I, I mean, this is an issue that I, I, I've, I've come to realize in my own sort of uh, artistic narrow field of interest, you know, Thomistic philosophy, right? Yes. If I don't talk about divine simplicity, right? Jay Dyer's going to talk about divine simplicity. Now, what is he going to say about divine simplicity? Well, he's going to say it leads to child rapist priests. In order to curtail that kind of insane sort of presentation of, of a very esoteric topic that, deser- that deserves delicacy and deserves precision and, and care, it, that void must be filled by 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 that sort of measured and delicate and careful presentation that I try to fill. So that's just a perspective from my own uh, field of interest. But Yeah. But one of the... So th- this account that I was talking to on Twitter, and they're going to know who they are by hearing that about this conversation. And I won't reveal who they are because they're intending to come on the podcast at some point. But, and he was saying, you know, my opinion on this stuff is to just not talk about it. And I said, well, no, you can't talk about it. But the other thing I talked about with Marshall and the death threats is that he, I said, look, the Lavender Mafia, like the satanic cabal that's in the church, if it exists, and I believe it probably does, um, what they actually care about is being caught with their child prostitutes, their drugs, and their money. Yeah. They, if you don't threaten one of those things, like it would actually be like, this is almost like Bronze Age pervert, like BAP fan fiction, is that it'd be really easy actually to just like get a couple of good private investigators to like actually like figure out what's going on in the Vatican. Yeah. Like if you start, like if you start uncovering financial secrets, if you start uncovering areas of potential criminal activity, right, that's going to get their attention. You know, it's not going to get their attention talking about, this is uh, how they're a mo- they're a modernists. Yeah, or you know, to talking about their pernicious influence that got rid of ad orientum, right? <laughs> they don't care. Okay. What would what would actually work is if you hired a, a Bulgarian drug dealer and just said, "And I want you to go to Italy, and I want you to tell me every effeminate like Italian man that buys it, and if they have a Vatican license plate, because these people are stupid enough that." The the thing about evil is that it is very arrogant and it leads to stupidity. Vatican license plates, cars filled with cocaine have been busted within like the last three years on a couple occasions on the downline. So what you do is you just, you hire a freaking like Bulgarian or better go to the Czech Republic where meth is cheap and get a drug dealer and say hey every single person that you think is gay in in italy near vatican city i want you to sell these drugs to them and just here's a little thing that'll be in the bag and then you just like get them with a private investigator and it's over 
But these people don't want to do that because it's not actually about saving the church or something from modernists. It's about ingratiating themselves by being the big Catholic crusader who's going to revive tradition. I, w- yeah. I wonder if that's I wonder if that's the rules for retrogrades hire a drug dealer to figure out all the effeminate Vatican priests. <laughs> maybe it is. Maybe maybe we're the cucks. Maybe we're, yeah. you know, I I don't know. But this kind of this segues now to the broader state of Catholic cultural content that is Catholic online culture and content has kind of led us to led us and me convincing classical theists to do this podcast how things are and and the facets of this that i want to discuss is boomer hysteria red pill overdose in general boomer hysteria in particular how it kind of free feeds the grift trad and trad inc apparatus you know the memeplex of normie boomer trad content Finally, how I don't want to use this, I hate using this phrase because it's kind of gay, but toxic traditionalism, mm-hmm. you know, the return of that. And so, the, but the reason why I asked, you know, Gabriel Simon in particular is because you, you've been around, like, because we've all, I remember in Tech Wars podcast, Nightmare Vision said, you know, that Gamergate's like the new year zero. That's when the current timeline started. In all seriousness, that time of 2014. 13, 14, leading up to 2016, uh, I remember during this time, this is when I was like st- first learning about E. Michael Jones, first reading old cl- Culture Wars mar- articles. I was already pretty reactionary and like, you know, the bottom floor of my politics was just kind of like a LARPy monarchist stuff, but I was really getting into this stuff and this content. But all three of us have kind of been around and like active online, in online discussions and just kind of disputation and conversation since then but you can kind of feel and see just how much stuff has changed as the francis papacy in like the catholic content sphere has gone on right just what's your guys's perception of that like for yourselves like what you've noticed over the past couple years yeah go ahead go ahead go ahead (laughs) well for me i came back to the faith uh in 2014 i was an atheist prior to that for a couple years and i at that time i I was kind of really entering into a within a year of that okay so around 2015 or so i I was getting into that online subculture that you're talking about and that's sort of when i really got in rad trad catholic sphere of of content so i was watching all these father hess videos rad cat night so this sort of gave me an opportunity to learn about very early on at within the infancy of Francis's papacy how things got to be the way they are in the church right mm-hmm. so at this point i was well aware that over the past you know, 60 70 80 years the church has been on a downward trajectory right there is you know truth to that infiltration narrative right um but it, it it wasn't the Francis papacy that woke me up to that because Francis had just been elected pope. It was just like within a year, and within that first year of Francis's pontificate, it really wasn't all that scandalous. The Francis's scandal is kind of flowed within, I'd say, maybe the second, third, fourth year, right? Uh, the, the airplane interviews is when people started getting kind of panicky and leery. Yeah, but anyway, go on. Yeah, yeah. So, so. That's kind of where 
I was around that time. But I think getting a sense of how the church came to be where it is today before Pachamama, right? Well before where the, sca- where the new scandals really took off, it kind of helps to sober your mind a bit as a Catholic, to have a sober, clinical, dispassionate recognition of the state of the church and the state of the hierarchy. So that when these new scandals emerge a couple years after that, you've already sort of matured a bit theologically, you've digested a lot of the stuff, you've already had your freak-out zealotry phase, and so you're, you're, you're kind of able to take in this new data w- without being poisoned by it. You've already, you've already gone through the red pill poisoning. I think everybody goes through that period. I think it's, in a way, a natural period. But I think it's, it's better to have gone through it before this new era of the church with McCarrick, with Pachmama and all these things, than to have thought that, you know, uh, Benedict was this a crusader for traditionalism and then for comes along and the church is a mess, right? I, I think having this or uh, matured, sober recognition of how the church has been, and then not just an intellectual recognition, but having sort of lived through years have lived experience of that of having had that recognition it prepares you better for the new scandals and so you don't veer off into sensationalism right you 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 try to integrate it more in 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 your theology and present it in a way that 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 does not foster and does not cater to hysteria yeah yeah the his the, the the newly emergent hysteria because that just mutually feeds off of each other uh, reciprocally, right? And I think that's sort of what happens with with, with the marshals of, of the world is they, they've they just been red-pilled, right? Right. In that sense. Marshall's red-pilling is new. Uh, within, he, he sort of had that quote-unquote red-pill at the same time as his audience. But, 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 but being in that situation, he has to, like, be a leader, is the problem he can't like take the time yeah. to digest it so um the other right okay. yeah that's what i was going to get to is that he's he has not had the time to digest he has not had the time to integrate it within his own theology and within his own thinking and, and yet he's already established himself quasi leader as, as, as a uh, representative of 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 Thomism, right of, of of catholic thought as an in, in the new age so uh, he he in being in that position, he just all he does is bring to bear his own red pill poison, and that just feeds into the hysteria that already exists. And so, and 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 it creates sort of a opportunity for grift because now the the boomers in his audience, their hysteria can basically feed into uh, a source of monetary contribution, right? Right, and. Right. I'm going to let Syme chime in here first, but the thing, everything yeah. you're talking about were like, really quick, what I want to say about like be having a more sober perspective, being really into Father Hess, but then like discovering his, um, his flaws. And I intend, by the way, that for us to do an episode, get ready Just on Father and get ready to go through <laughs> the archive and watch all of those videos. All I would like to do that because I, I've, like I said, I've. I binge watched his content. Yeah, and I basically yeah. was a regurgitator of, of his talking. 
I, I, I still I really, I respect Father Hess. I do. Yeah, I respect I mean, him. He, he's a towering intellect, but he has issues. I don't really know how much has really changed. I mean, just from 2014 to now, they're still complaining about Francis. I think I'll tell you what, what is new is like the JP, the JP2 conservative just I don't know if you've witnessed this yourself, but the JP two conservative just like completely losing his mind. <laughs> yes, like a specific person or just that archetype. Just, just, just that genre. I'm thinking specifically of, and God bless him, he's a good guy, and I'm not trying to like talk shit about him. But let me tell a small story here. There's a small story arc with Deacon Nick Donnelly, who used to work for EWTN Great Britain. That's the weird thing about Twitter is you have access to all these people. And you can have just weird online interactions with them. Um, but Deacon Nick, you know, he's, he's, he's a British boomer. Uh, he did a, a, a very kind of cute but very cringy boomer video. But it was still, like, very endearing when Brexit finally happened of himself holding two Union Jacks and just singing uh, Rule Britannia off-key with no music, just himself in his hallway. Um, but he... Um, he blocked me on Twitter like a long time ago for Francis criticism and a priest, a Twitter priest got him to unblock me because I asked because I liked some of his content. But just I've seen in real time how he's just slowly become a rad trad. And I, I don't like using that term derogatorily, but um, j just how this this horrible, hysterical red pill poisoning and you, oh, yeah. you you had a, a tweet the other time about how, like, people convert and they just – or, or are getting into Catholicism or they want to get into, like, Catholic online circles and they instantly decide to just Francis bash. But you were saying that you really should just approach the Pope as a paternal figure as a Catholic. Yeah. I mean, that's that's what I did, the, the former, not the, the latter. It's like – for me, I kind of – before my conversion or, you know, intellectual conversion, I – I had kind of come to some uh, pretty fringe, um, maybe not for these circles, but in general, fringe viewpoints. Esoteric, yeah. I, I think my first red pill, for lack of a better word, when I was in high school, there were two. The first was learning about all the progressive era journalists who basically were glorifying um, 1920s Soviet Union, like Lincoln Stevens. And then the second was basically learning about uh, Roosevelt, FDR, and his censoring of America. First. And the, hypocr the hypocrisy that that's never talked about, but McCarthy is talked about. Even though there were, you know, when McCarthy said people were communists, a lot of the time he was right. And when Roosevelt said America firsters were Nazis, that was just a, a flat out lie. But Roosevelt is so sainted in our culture. That people just, you know, As a... he, he's probably, yeah, he might be... I mean, I think maybe JFK might be the last one, but maybe even Roosevelt might be, like, the last universally admired president well, just like, across the political spectrum. Even Ann Coulter has a weird veneration for Roosevelt because he fought World right. War II. And I, right. I, I respect Ann Coulter overall, but she can be limited by the ideology that she subscribes to. But before I was... Um, I'm going to let you finish, but what I wanted to say yeah. was what, what you're talking about with, like, Roosevelt censoring America first, that's kind of the context to the Moldbug post or essay or ebook or whatever the hell, um, the, the brown, you know, the brown scare, technology, communism, and the brown scare, 
how right. just tons of people were being accused of being fascists or Nazis and so on was the but the but you were saying those were your two red pills. Go on, I just wanted to give that context. Yeah. Um. So then I can. I mean, I can say pretty much honestly. Um, my conversion, I would say, was mostly to people like Tom Edward Fazer, because uh, Woods gave me the history, the how the Catholic Church, Western civilization, and then the last superstition, pretty much made me a theist overnight, and also made me someone who did natural law morality, because I grew up in the the left coast, so. You know, it was kind of just implicitly thought that all this uh, sex and stuff is is good over here. But actually, hearing the arguments against it, were able to to show me. But what I mean is that, so if I come in right, mm-hmm. you already you already have this mentality of the people in charge are not telling you the truth, right? Your 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 historians they're not telling you anything really in depth about FDR. They do mention it. They'll dismiss it. Um, Lincoln was another topic that you people like uh, Thomas DiLorenzo was one guy listened to. But because of that, you're coming in now with this mentality of everyone is they're lying to you, and you have to go to these particular figures to really get the truth. You, know, you can't rely on your bishop or your priest. You're going to always be. You're basically you're you're putting yourself in a position of judgment your priest over your bishop looking to figure out any flaw they have and to immediately go and see what Boris or whoever says about it and it's the fact that you know even a lot of uh, a lot of us so-called trads we still have that very kind of enlightenment era individualism where if the bishops do something we don't like we kind of feel like we don't have to to listen to them and obviously they can't command us to sin but this is one problem i have with with lefebvre um but i think did very excellent up until the the consecration and this is obviously this is all historical at this point because you know there's been so much development benedict and francis i just mean in terms of you know i don't think we can say they're in schism anymore a, a note to um, all sspx posters listening to this podcast what our guests say does not necessarily reflect our own views sorry go on <laughs> yeah i mean just like the fact with uh because wasn't the whole thing with with uh, the consecrations i mean john paul ii pretty much explicitly told him not to do it because sometimes you'll see the comparisons i think it's to bishops in in I don't know, China or wherever they can't really get access and people are just assuming that, that Pius the twelfth wants them to consecrate bishops and so they, they're assuming that they're kind of that implicit jurisdiction, which is not the same as being told directly not to not to do something. Right. But but to me it's just weird that you know, this guy he's presenting I mean, I'm not gonna doubt his piety or anything, but sorry, piety. But you basically you are being told directly not to do something by your sovereign lord and you're you're flat out just disobeying that, and, and which is very much a, a modern view set. It, it's, it's ironic too because I I made a tweet and the other day about how Michael Davies went through. Michael Davies was the great traditionalist author who I think it's very sad that Marshall's book is published, but like Michael Davies can't get a freaking reprint of his books. 
definitely, you know, pro-Econ consecrations and all that. Thing about, like, Michael Davies really tried to sanitize Lefebvre to the Anglosphere audience because Lefebvre was like, you know, he was like an old-school French royalist reactionary. It's very funny because, like, Davies is trying to paint, like, Lefebvre not going ape against liberalism in his writings as not a condemna condemnation of, like, liberalism as the Anglosphere understands it. It's kind of silly. But the the thing about Lefebvre and all this and, and is this, this attitude of disobedience is that it we're not saying that there isn't anything wrong in the church because there's a lot of problems in the church. Like, I outright believe... I personally subscribe to the idea that Malachi Martin was telling mostly the truth with some embellishments. Mm -hmm. Like, I personally do believe that the Bernadine ca ca uh, satanic consecration happened because of all the anecdotal evidence. But the thing is, is it's like, if, if you treat the church just like a country... A bad presidential administration. Well, because then it's just like your your entire thing is just all screwed up. Because the thing is, is like you, what's going on with like the coronavirus right now yes. is making these boomers go even more insane because right. the the taking away of the access to the sacraments. The right. reason why we've gotten to like this point of just like utter hysteria, and you mm -hmm. can see it on Twitter where it's just like oh. I think the, the Novus Ordo is going to be done for after this and just like ridiculous stuff like that is because of just like this internalization of enlightenment values and thought and that we haven't like Catholics have not fully deprogrammed themselves from Lockean bullshit. Right. Exactly. I mean, you had it so, right. You you had an encounter the other day with Mike Church's daughter on the timeline, didn't you? That kind of <laughs> yes, exemplifies this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I don't know if it was his daughter, but I, so, some sort of relative. But it, but it was on you know the, the whole question of uh, reopening the economy, right? This this was when uh, Trump was suggesting that we uh, reopen the economy, April. By Easter. Well, by Easter, right? Yeah, yeah, by Easter. Um, and, of course, and, and she was towing the whole line of this is just a big conspiracy. Well, she, hasn't, she wasn't saying it was a big conspiracy, but she was saying that, and this is, I think, uh, cuts to one of the main problems with this, with, with the Normie transphere, right? Uh, her philosophy was that, and, and by the way, this is not to say that economic concerns are illegitimate about this because i understand that breakdown of the economy the the, the long-term pause of the economy it, it, it's not just the reason that's bad is not just because we care about you know not the line not. going up right it, it, it does have to do with people actually losing their jobs losing their livelihood right so i get that right but what i sensed was what, what she started to say was that you know just because it, it might potentially endanger the elderly that we, we we have to necessarily we have we, we nonetheless have to effectively we have to prop up the markets which is like typical so, lockean prizing private property and profits right it, it, it while i understand the the issue with pausing the the uh, the the engine of the economy right i do understand that i'm not one of these people who think that that uh concern about the economy is tantamount to uh just 
worshiping the stock market. <laughs> Nevertheless, the way that she phrased it did emerge out of just a typical boomer con concern about uh, the free market system for its own sake, at to the detriment of the common good. What's more relevatory is just how it shows this kind of the engage, like how like this person's intellectual engines engage. What is yeah. the thing that they think of first? Yeah, it, it, it's this this continued slavish devotion to to the uh, line. Yeah. I remember Scott Greer's podcast with Nightmare Vision where they were talking about how, you know, this idea of small business being like like the backbone of, you know, all this and like, oh, 50% of American businesses are small businesses. Most of those are restaurants, okay? We're not talking about like hardware stores and dry cleaners. Like most of these are, mm -hmm. and, and also like do franch like fast food franchises count? Like this idea, like that America really doesn't exist anymore. And so mm. it's just a con to, like, get conservatives to think that they are doing something salutary and, like, almost, I will brave the plague for the sake of, you know, the, the small mom-and-pop hardware store that I've never, you know, seen in my own life living right. in, a, in a suburban <laughs> town. Really ridiculous. And it's just bizarre to me that this sentiment coexists with a traditional catholicism that is more quote-unquote rad trad than what i'm even to right uh, and, and yet it coexists with this essentially uh, modernist uh political fusionism enlightenment claptrap um it's what's funny is i remember yeah. talking to dave riley recently Dave Riley, who is E. Michael Jones's social media secretary, um, he was complaining to me once about, he's like, I don't understand it. Just these people who I go to church with, and he goes to church at an SSPX parish, and he says, like, after Mass, they're talking about, like, the latest episode of Ben Shapiro's show. That they right. <laughs> and and it's, it's insane, because the, the same people prop up a figure like Pope Leo Thirteenth. And we all know that if Pope Leo the Thirteenth were around today, he 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 would uh, repudiate their uh, their core political beliefs as uh, anathema to the spirit of all of his encyclicals. Something I want. What, to... what I said to give you just to quickly uh, Go ahead. wrap up on this point uh, with this relative of Mike Church, what and. To be fair, I was being a little bit deliberately uh, pointed, but I said something to the effect of, well, what, what she said was that the common people have enough sense to do to maintain social distancing. No, they don't. I'm saying, no, don't. Uh, no, we don't. Uh, we're, we're, we are a bunch of individualistic idiots, and we have to be, and in this day and age, we have to be, our, this, our excessive individualistic behavior has to be curtailed and mitigated by a strong arm of an of a autocratic state. It, it simply has to be, and and this is, and this is in harmony with uh, Catholic social teaching. It's in harmony with Catholic political theology uh, that, that recognizes the state as organic outgrowth of human nature, right? Unitary state specifically, um, and and she responds with, uh, "What the holy heck?" This all caps freak out. How could I possibly suggest? How could I be a Yes, and, and, and excuse me, of socialism, right? Um, 
and 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 it's this uh, this marriage between traditional Catholicism and basically uh, TPUSA talking points that's just very disheartening. And and, and it's essentially and it's nothing new, right? It's uh, William F. Buckley, for example, would have Malachi Martin not talk about the. Uh, uh, they would talk about the ecclesiastical conspiracies, and they would prop up the Latin Mass, but then they would also just maintain neoconservatism as well. Uh, and then you see this with Michael Knowles. You see this with uh, the Daily Wire, Matt, Matt the, the Catholics, who, Matt Walsh, who are on the Daily Wire in the Daily Wire crowd. Well, but don't you guys know that a republic is the only regime where truth matters? It's, it's, yeah, <laughs> it, 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 a, a monarchy is living under relativism. Didn't you know that? That's so stupid. It's, it's One of these story. days, we're gonna have to go uh, the Catholic book. I'm gonna actually review it on on my YouTube channel. I intend to. I it's yeah. gonna be horrible. But um, you're you're a former uh, you're a former uh, big brained libertarian, Mister Mister Syme. What what is so hard? What what do you? Th I don't know if you have quite, have quite the insights on the boomer mind. I mean, because that's something I I think about like constantly because I just deal with them. Um, I think that just a lot of times they're just not presented with an alternative. I can't really talk about other people. Uh, I can talk about myself though. But for me, okay, so for me, because I did kind of go through. I went. I basically. If, you, if you're asking a libertarian, they would say I went to and I became an authoritarian, which is roughly true. Um, what happened for me is I was always on the right side of libertarianism. I was always on the, um, if you know libertarian, I would say I, was, I preferred early 90s Rothbard to late 60s Rothbard. If you know anything about Rothbard, you'll know what that means. Um, and I would say I always had a very kind of populist right-wing side which was expressed with my admiration for america first and all that stuff and so one big thing that happened for me was reading kunal ladin's books on leftism menace of the herd and on liberty or equality because that was the first time that liberty seen not as kind of the ultimate ideal but just as something that's good in its proper context but you can't make it the the goal and that kind of that really opened me up to the idea of monarchy. And another thing was when I did get around to the issue of McCarthyism, and the question is, okay, well, if he was right about all of these guys, should they be persecuted for having communist beliefs? And if it gets down to the question of, well, no, that's against the Constitution, there's really two paths that you can go with that. You can say, well, then we have to just be principled and we, we can't persecute them. Or you can say, well, to hell with the Constitution. And I went with the second path, which is, you know, it's basically, look, if, if this document that we have doesn't really do anything, right, it's never been effective. Like, it's pretty much from the second we really got it. Because you, you, there's this, you know, there's the meme of the good founding fathers, or you'll see this sometimes in the, the kind of certain amounts of the, um, I don't want to say neo-confederate, because that's kind of a slur, but this idea that Jefferson was the good guy and then you know that hamilton was the bad guy mm -hmm. and jefferson was the good guy but jefferson he wanted the empire ferrara talks about this in liberty the god that failed which is probably just one of the the best books maybe the best book you could read on this that or puritan's empire where this whole idea of the non-interventionist 
founding fathers that was then corrupted with uncorrupted with Wilson and, and Roosevelt. It's never really been true. The, the goal of the U.S. foreign policy has always been revolution in the sense of, and it's it's changed as, as we've, I don't want to say, you know, you can say to the left, um, but it's in the context of understanding that we're talking since the French Revolution left to the point where stuff that would be seen as very far right is would be seen as left in that context. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's just, I don't, I don't know why stay in this very pro-american revolution view of the i think part of it is the presentation of english liberty versus french liberty where the english are able to pre- have, have been able to present themselves really since the time of the french revolution because one thing that i think jones talks about this uh it might be in bear i don't remember what book it is but edmund burke edmund edward i don't know he had written something against the, the french revolution right reflections on the revolution right 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 but i mean what i'm saying is is burke i think was a supporter of the glorious revolution and mary wollstonecraft rightly pointed out why is it okay for you guys to basically have a coup and not for the french and you can say oh the french went too far but that's 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 the the way that the english have always presented themselves i mean in terms of these past few centuries in terms of english liberty versus french liberty or english liberty or anglo liberty ordered liberty and the french liberty is the kind of chaotic type and so if we have the english type like we have in america well that's all good and we can have the lock we can have separation of church and state because don't you know that Locke was really just or not Locke, but jefferson they were really learning from bellarmine and suarez and all those guys and, um it's, it's i think really there's weird catholic retcon coping yeah, I mean, there'd have to be a whole, you could do a whole episode of this podcast just on how damaging, I think Jones calls it the English ideology. I don't think, I don't know if that's his, he coined that phrase or, or that term or if it's getting it from someone else, but people are so trapped by the literal centuries of just Anglo propaganda that even if, even if they get into, you know, even if you, if you approach a one, you can get into one and you never really unify it. So you can get into the black legend. You can learn about the black legend and learn all about how it worked. But you'll never connect that to something like the Spanish-American War unless you have, you know, have the right um, hermeneutic I, tools. Because this all connects to what we're talking about. My working definition of a normie comes from, you know, my good friend, uh, Alex Forrest, who should probably be on the podcast at some point, which is that a normie is someone who does not know why things are the way they are and may not and very likely does not care why things are the way they are. And so with the normie transfer, what's happening is that you have something very like like stuff like Blessed the, the, the cultist of Blessed Carl is almost an exclusively Latin Mass Catholic thing, right? And the Latin Mass itself and, you know, the I'm not trying to go full continental catholic larp here there are problems with larp monarchy which is you know that you know really the european nobility needs to join the military if they really want to take back power and like where where does the right authority and when does you lose the mandate of heaven and there's also that as much as i love him charles Colum must be held accountable for his crimes of creating the larp monarchist <laughs> When 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 finally this is all over, Charles Colum will be held accountable. 
hopefully on this podcast one day. The Latin mass and like the entire cultural, the entire cultural memeplex of, tra- of, of tradition, of the traditions of the Catholic Church are being divorced from its cultural, historical, and political elements in a lot of mm-hmm. American normie tra- traditionalism. It's not good. It lured, further adds to re-deracination and just this sense of just kind of making up the religion and religious culture as you go along. And I mean, this is why, and this is the stuff we bitch about amongst ourselves all the time. You have like the cargo cult of femininity and masculinity, you know, beard bomb Catholicism. <laughs> you know, or it's just like, oh, you know, subcri- subscribe to Crusader Crate. And once a month, you'll get a straight light razor, a bear paw, and a Taylor Marshall book, plus a St. Michael's medal, one for every month. <laughs> a St. Michael's sword. You know, my grandfather raised me. The example is masculinity is, masculinity is about just, like, taking care of business. It's just about getting shit done. It's, it's, it's not about, like, this bullshit external stuff, which men kind of, like, latch on to these days because they're uncomfortable with the fact that mainstream culture thinks that religion is like effeminate mm-hmm. and so you have to like larp as like this big crusader but at the same time you also have these weird bizarre americanist views something also about like the normie trust here is that the fact that when you're not anonymous you get so invested that like where i was talking about how like you know mike church's relative just like snapped at you and like basically mm-hmm. called you an evil pinko um she didn't say that but like in effect um you everything just becomes like a crisis moment everything mm-hmm. has to be the end of the world whereas what uh, if you can detach yourself from things being not so personal then it's better because then this stuff doesn't like make you go ape shit every time you know you encounter something that's disagreeable to you and, right, it, it it doesn't break down your whole worldview. And the other part and with, of it, and another thing with, with with anonymity is, I don't mean I don't necessarily mean anonymity as such, but I mean Twitter milieu and 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 why it 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 should sort of fill a certain void here in Catholic content. That um, I feel like our side of Twitter among Catholics. And in, in, in our side, is much more willing to engage with and absorb the wisdom you can find, you know, outside the boundaries of traditional Catholicism. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. The, go ahead. the fact that the German idealists are actually worth reading. What we were talking about before the show, Guinan. Yeah, and, and the traditionalist school. Uh, mm-hmm. Even elements of you know perennialist thought, things like that. Um, I, I, I think, and, and I should preface by saying I, I don't take too much stock in him, but there's, but but he is sort of emblematic of, of of just the type of literary sources that I think we're more willing to engage with, like Evola. I mean, like I said, not not really impressed by Evola, or even you know Spangler necessarily, but just these. What 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 I mean to say is content that is not ostensibly catholic but nonetheless is uh it's useful yeah and and, and, and broadens and your horizons broadens your horizons and it deepens your uh, uh, perspective a bit and 
it, it ultimately buttresses your own presentation of the faith. When you have, and I'll, I'll give sort of an example of this um, that I, I that I kind of came across of. Mm-hmm. On one of Marshall did a show on a, a ball, Hansers on Bazaar, and they were just they were sort of going over reasons why Balthazar is, is, is really this uh, toxic toxic figure in uh, the, the new theology, right? And one of the uh, instances that they brought up is that he wrote the foreword to uh, a, a book on uh, Christian hermeticism. And so essentially what they did is they took certain phrases that Balthazar used that if you had any kind of uh, actual exposure to more esoteric thought, I guess, you would know that you, you, you can discuss these phrases in a way that is not contrary to Catholic orthodoxy, but he, he, Balthazar would use phrases like the cosmic powers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now, obviously, we, we, we can understand this in a way that's congruent with Catholic cosmology, right? We, we, when you have a, an understanding of, of teleology and things like that, but what you know, what what they were saying was like, oh, well, does that does that mean the uh, does that mean the strong and weak nuclear forces or something? Um, so <laughs> it's it's this very sort of reductive, narrow-minded narrow yeah. approach to content that's outside the visible boundaries of traditional Catholicism and just an inability to really deal with that kind of content well it's it's also it, it kind of goes back to like the catholic inferiority complex you know mm-hmm. and especially in america in the anglosphere which is it, when that like rears its head it gets really really annoying this is, was a good conversation i mean admittedly a rocky start but we're gonna we're gonna continue we have an email address and that is uh in tabernacast at protonmail.com and I am intending to do every two or three episodes to do a shorter 30-minute email episode where we just answer email questions. And if uh, you have tons of burning theological questions for Classical Theist in his curious cat that he's been refusing to answer for months, well, this is a good way to force him to answer them. I've been a busy guy, kind of. I know Yeah, I, I can't lie to the audience. I can't. I know the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, no, this was a this was a good start, but uh, I want to thank everybody for coming by. And I I know that this is a, a late in the day for you, uh, Mister Syme. But would you be willing to come back to talk about Chesterton and uh, who he really was and why he is to actually be respected? Yeah, I can do that. Okay, this was a good conversation. Like I said, a rocky start, but you know this is how everything starts. Despite the rocky start and the late posting date, we hope that you'll join us again in Taberna. Mm-hmm.